just exactly what we have up here, and I'm, I want to read this with you, and we'll read it slowly so you can, you can capture the essence of what we're about or begin to capture it. And, and I want you to know that you are very, very welcome to ask questions at any time, so please raise your hand and say, okay, I have a question. I need clarity, okay? All right, so let's, why don't you read this with me? We are training international students as Christ-animated, redemptive change agents who courageously, creatively, skillfully, and intelligently apply a Christian worldview to challenges in their home societies and workplaces. Maybe it would help to, to break that down. Do you think so? I think so, yeah. So, so we talk about the idea of training uh, international students. Um, and uh, we're going to try an alternative here. We have a backup. This doesn't have quite as big a light. So sometimes I have two different ones I can use, and they don't always work. Uh, we train international students. Let's, let's begin with uh, statistics. Who would like to hazard a guess at the number of international college students who are here in the United States right now? Right on target. You win, this, you win the award. That's great. I rarely get people who can uh, get this right on target the way you did. A million of them. Just imagine a million uh, people who, who are future leaders of their societies who've come to be our guests and to be students in our universities and Bible colleges and liberal arts colleges and theological seminaries from around the world. Now think about the fact that, that at least 950,000 of them we can reliably predict are, are people without real faith in Jesus Christ. If I tell you that God has brought the world to our, mission, our doorstep, would you agree with me that this is an incredible opportunity that God's given us? <laughs> and if you were, you, some of you who live closer to MSU, you can actually be involved in real live foreign missions by inviting these people into your homes. Did you realize that? It's, it's, a, it's an unbelievable opportunity. Even if these people don't come to Christ, it's our view here at the Wilberforce Academy and, and many of my colleagues in other international student ministries that uh, even if they don't come to Christ, their positive experience with Christians, if we engage them, uh, will be such that they will um, have a more favorable disposition to Jesus, to Jesus Christ, no doubt, but also to Christian missionaries back in their home countries. Think about that. We send missionaries to some societies that are rather closed, but if a future leader has been trained here and has had a good experience with Christians, what do you think that he or she is going to do? So we really think that international student ministry is a key part of the whole world uh, mission enterprise. So it's, it's a wonderful thing. And I got involved in 1985. That was the same time that, that actually Karen came as a volunteer 
to work with the same organization, and we had several other colleagues there in the, the Twin Cities of Minnesota, and, and over the years we've known thousands of international students and seen God work in some remarkable ways, which I can talk about some more. So, so we're training international students, but what do we want to do with them? We want to train them as Christ-animated redemptive change agents. Now, this term redemptive change agents is one that I've, um, I've not entirely coined, but some people would consider it a, a term that I've coined. The idea is that God has called us, or called some of us at least, to play a role in his kingdom where we discover and try to reflect uh, what it means for Christ to redeem not only individual lives, but all aspects of culture and society. Because Christ is Lord of all, that, that means that all of society ultimately owes its allegiance to him, even if it's in rebellion. It still owes its allegiance. And what a redemptive change agent can do is to try to help help that, that domain of, of life, of society, to begin to find its purpose in Jesus Christ rather than in, in Hinduism or Islam or some other destructive ideology. So we think that international students as future leaders of the world who, who are really encountering in our, our American universities very secular worldviews. Now, I'm going to get technical for a minute. One worldview is called naturalism. Okay, this is the worldview that says matter is all there is. This is they, they come with this assumption that matter is all there is and that there is nothing else. Most of our faculty who are in the sciences or technology at least act as if they believe that to be true. Some do actually believe it. The other secular worldview that our students, American and international, are learning today is that there is really no such thing as truth. And that anybody who claims they have the truth is on a power trip to get you under their thumb. Now that's the philosophy or worldview called postmodernism. Postmodernism. It's a devastating idea that has penetrated the social sciences where I have my degree and, and where Karen also has her PhD. But it has also deeply infected our humanities. So when people talk, and I'll get back here, but I want to, I'm trying to give you a background. When people talk about the liberal arts collapsing in our universities and colleges, that's because of postmodernism. It's destroyed the search for truth. So what we feel we have to do is we have to engage Christian international students and help them to develop a mindset counter to that which they're being taught in the universities and so that they can begin to really think out of a Christian mindset or Christian worldview. And so they think with Christ's mind instead of 
the mind of secular and scientific naturalism or the postmodern mindset. Okay, so then we, we want them to courageously, because courage is right at the core of the Christian life as we know, and then creatively, because we are made in the image of a creative God, and therefore, would anybody in this room disagree with me that God has made us as creative beings? in his image would anybody disagree with that creativity isn't just for artists it's for all of us now some of us get got a lot more of it than others that's okay but we're all creative at some level so we try to encourage them to be courageous and creative and then we try to encourage them to be skillful because we live in a world that where sin is a very real reality. And we have to think intelligently about engaging uh, those who are dead set against a Christian agenda. Jesus himself said that, that and told us that we have to be um, gentle as doves and shrewd as snakes, right? And we often talk about that in our work because he was trying to say that, that we need to be people who are just open and, and engaging people, but we dare not, we dare not let ourselves be taken by a kind of naivete that fails to recognize that there are all kinds of machinations against our efforts. And so, finally, intelligently applying and that's pretty obvious, that you have to be intelligently applying a Christian worldview, this Christian mindset, to the challenges in their home societies and workplaces. So one of the things that I want our students to, to explore, and most of the students that we engage with have already identified a specific challenge that they are, they're concerned about, that, that, that they're concerned about because it fits their field of study, or it's a... Uh, concern because it just aggravates them to no end. But we want them to, to be able to identify challenges. There are many challenges in any given society. What can Christ do about those? That's where we're going with Wilberforce Academy. Does anybody have questions that you want to pose at this point? Okay, let's move on then. And uh, I guess there we go. So just briefly, by way of background, uh, our founding, our budget, we are a 501c3 charity. These are all the, the kinds of things that you would expect me to talk about. And so I'm going to go on here to talk about the implications for evangelism and discipleship. Uh, in fact, in my next slide here, um, I show uh, this young woman, Wen Meng, she is from Shanghai, China. Uh, this is a picture of me last June with she and her mother in Shanghai when I was uh, visiting them there uh, during my tour of East Asia, where I was meeting with some of our meeting with some of our East Asian returnees. Uh, and uh, she is not one of our regular mentees, but she is the example of someone who came to Christ through our ministry, though our ministry is not 
purposefully about evangelism. Most of our colleagues' ministries to internationals are. Ours is more about leadership training. But as she got involved as a non-believer with some of the things that we were doing, we held a conference about corruption in one's home society. She came, and then she began to spend time with Susan and me. And lo and behold, she became a follower of Christ. And then uh, last August, she came back to the Twin Cities, and I was able to uh, baptize her in, a, in an area lake. And what a thrill. And this, by the way, I'm sorry, I'm pushing these too fast, guys. There we go. Okay. This is a picture uh, from just several months ago when I was at the University of California, Berkeley. And uh, this audience was a, largely a non-Christian audience of UC Berkeley and UC Davis and Stanford University Chinese students who have come to study here in America. Uh, and I was essentially uh, evangelizing because my work by the nature of it, uh, forces me to deal with some pretty difficult questions. And these people, naturally, are really bright people at, a universe, at universities like those. And so they asked me to come in and spend a couple days talking to these students and helping to answer their questions about Christian faith. Again, part of what we do has implications for evangelism uh, and discipleship. Um, but um, I'm not very skillful at using this, guys. Why don't you put me down through that trap door, okay? <laughs> okay. I want to get back here. I'm not too good at this, I can see. Okay. <laughs> you know what? I'm going to call out to you guys. You want to go back to the slide with the information about, and I'll just tell you to shift slides because... I don't seem to be doing this very well. Okay, thank you. So, our theme verse that we use in Wilberforce Academy is Romans 8:19. All creation waits with eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. I don't have time to exposit on that, maybe in another sermon, but what I see in that is very real implications, not just for eschatology or the future, but real implications for a world that is literally crying out in its lostness. As I shared this morning, a world that increasingly is without answers. And I'm not, I wasn't exaggerating. Increasingly is without answers. The emperor has no, the secular emperor has no clothes. Thus, what is the reality is that creation and culture are eagerly waiting for us, the sons and daughters of God, to demonstrate to them what Christ has done, what He can do for them individually and what He can do for their societies. Again, this is a radical redefinition of the Christian's role. We talked about uh, one of the bad ideas of the church this morning, is the concept of the church as a, as a secret society. And that's one that was held for much of the 20th century. But what we're saying is the Scripture says 
They are waiting for us to show up. They're waiting for us to, to bring intelligent, skillful, courageous, and creative solutions to human problems based on a Christian worldview. And that's essential that we say that. It's, it's all centered on Christ. There is no alternative. So at this point in history, we have mentored about 25 students. I'll be showing pictures of some of them, and we'll be moving on here in just a minute. But we have about 25 mostly international students that we've mentored. In addition to that, we offer courses. Uh, for example, tomorrow morning, I'll be doing an online course uh, on comparative worldviews that I teach every semester, fall and spring, spring-winter. Uh, it's a 14-week course. It's not for credit, although you can take it for independent study credit through your institution if you want. I have students who come in online from, right now I have a student who comes in and will tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. from uh, Romania, Bucharest. Uh, last semester, last fall, I had a student coming in from Riga, Latvia. And uh, several semesters ago, I had a couple students who came in from Seoul, Korea. So that's the part of the beauty of online education. And we literally are talking in real time about, on any given week, a particular worldview that we're assessing from the perspective of a Christian worldview. In addition to that, we hold conferences and retreats, which I've already in inferred, and, and now we're developing some publications. I write a, a blog. Uh, and uh, we have a, a book that I've just published and I'm writing my second right now. Okay, let's go to the next slide here, guys. Next slide. Now, uh, this man is a pretty famous man. He's in the peak of his power around the world today. He's, a, he's one of our most powerful leaders, Xi Jinping. Uh, Xi Jinping is the Chinese uh, leader today. His daughter graduated from Harvard last year. Uh, I don't know any, I have no evidence that she became a follower of Christ, but we definitely know that she was at Harvard. And so this is a young woman who was exposed to America. And the question, again, that I want to bring back to people as I kind of bring this back for a minute to an application for us here at St. John's First Baptist is the question, was the America that she found when she was here the America of her classroom where she was learning a naturalistic and a postmodern perspective on life? Was it the America that she saw on the television and in the movie theaters? Or now downloaded through all forms of social media? Or did she actually have an opportunity to get to know in a deep way some, some Christian hosts, maybe a host family who reached out to her and shared with her the love of Jesus Christ. You know, my, my oldest son, I can say this now publicly because it's long after the fact, but when my oldest son was a, a student at the University of Minnesota as a, doing his bachelor degree starting in 1998, uh, in his very first semester, he took a course with the daughter of the president of Uganda. But just like Xi Jinping's son, a daughter, 
She had a false name. Uh, Museveni, the, the leader of uh, Uganda, his daughter also took a pretend name, and I was actually sworn to secrecy. I knew that she was in the class, but I could never tell my son because she, was, she had people who were protecting her here at the University of Minnesota. Now, in her case, she came as a real believer in Jesus Christ, and now this woman is back in, in Uganda as a church leader and as a real follower of Christ. But you don't know, as my son didn't until years later when I finally told him, uh, who may be in sitting in classes with your children or your grandchildren. But what a difference if they could make it into an American home, an American Christian home, and encounter the love of Jesus Christ. So, one of the things that I remind people when I talk about the world leaders that come here to study uh, is the fact that, that uh, they do come from nations around the world, but primarily China. And while people say, well, most of them stay here, yes, about 60% stay in America, but what most people don't realize is most of our value-adding technologies, almost all of our social media technologies that are just exploding around us, uh, were developed by people who studied in American universities and came as foreign students. So actually, they're bringing wealth into our country, just to remind you that. That's a, a little aside, that's not about Christian impact, but you need to know that. So let's go to the next slide now, if we could. Now, I'd like to talk about this briefly because this is another example of a, another course that I teach. And, and I'm, what I'm trying to do is to fill out the picture of what we do at Wilberforce Academy. In a minute, I'm going to actually show you photos of different students with whom I work in, in depth. But uh, here's an example of another course that I taught uh, and taught for several semesters and still do uh, uh, at the university, not as part of the university, but on the campus. Uh, it's a course on Christian political theory, which I won't get into the details, but if anybody's interested in politics and Christian faith, come talk to me and we'll, we'll discuss Christian political theory. So I, I had these students, mostly American students here. I had this, this man who's from Nepal. He is actually has a PhD from an Australian university, and interesting that he is a Buddhist who came from Nepal, found Christ in Australia in 2009. Now he's at University of Minnesota for several years doing some specialized research, and he is one of my mentees. But this woman is an American who uh, took my course on Christian political theory, and while she was taking the course, she decided, and this was in 2014, she decided that God was calling her to run for political office. And would you believe it? She was elected uh, as a Republican to, uh, as a state representative from uh, actually a pretty significant district. And uh, just this last fall, she was reelected. And, and I have to say, she's an example of the kind of student that I'm quite proud of because she's really, really engaged in the political process and she is viewed in our Minnesota state legislature as an up-and-coming political star, an incredibly competent and Christ-centered and Christ-honoring woman. Next slide, please. Now, again, before I show you some detailed photos of my students, one of the reasons that I, 
I believe what we're doing has so much of an implication for human society and why I believe so much in what we're doing is because of maps like this. And I show these to students quite often. <clears throat> for example, this map. I'm going to show you two more. But this one is gross domestic product per capita. In other words, how wealthy is a country per person? Now, the darker shaded the country, like America, the greater the wealth per person. The lighter, for example, Congo, where I was just two weeks ago, that's among the lightest. That's their... Our wealth per capita is something like $25,000 or $28,000, something like that. Theirs is about $340 per person per year. Now, the difference between those is an astronomical difference. And it is an astronomically difficult place to be. I can promise you having been there two weeks ago. Now, what I try to show them, though, is I say, look, look. Where are the darkest colors found? And if you uh, were able to look at this on some versions of this graphic, you will note that these countries, Australia, New Zealand, most of Western Europe, especially Northern Europe, United States, and Canada, are the darkest ones. When they, people want to know about Saudi Arabia, I tell them it's all oil, totally oil, nothing else but oil. Japan, they were subjugated by us in World War II. They adopted our ethics in our way of seeing reality. The bottom line I want them to see is that primarily the greatest correlation between the most productive and the richest economies is with societies that ha have an his historic Christian, or specifically Protestant, background. That's the key word. Historically Protestant background. Now, this may look as just so much science, social science, but this is really important stuff to show to our students. There is a correlation, a direct correlation between the wealth of a country and the length of its historical embeddedness in Protestant Christianity. But let's go to the next slide and we'll see another factor, another variable. Let's look at this, uh, this map of political freedom the correlation is not quite as strong, but once again, we, when we look at the countries that are freest, the ones in green, uh, they inevitably are in countries that have an historic influence from both Protestant and Catholic Christianity, as well as a, a few others. People wonder about India, for example. By the way, India, to say that it's politically free is an exaggeration if you're actually there on the ground. But in theory, they're their constitution enshrines a kind of political freedom. But there is a very strong argument to be made that their, their nominal political freedom is a direct result of the Protestant influence of British colonialism. In fact, Professor Robert Woodbury, who taught for many years at University of Texas, Austin, and by the way, his father is a very famous missiologist uh, from Fuller Seminary. But what he was able to show in a very important paper that was published a few years ago is that there is a, not only a strong correlation between Protestant missionaries who go to convert people 
and the rise of democracy, but he says that Protestant missionaries who go to convert people actually help to cause democracy. Now think about that. Our faith has literal, literally dramatic implications for society. Now let's look at the next slide. And I want you to see this very interesting correlation. This matters a lot to my students. This is the number one issue that my foreign students and, and virtually anybody who works with them will tell you. This is their biggest complaint about their home country. Now, the ones, the countries that have the lowest rate of corruption are in the lightest yellow. The highest rates are in these dark magenta. Once again, you note the correlation. It's very, very obvious. Countries with an historic Protestant influence have remarkably low levels of corruption. You see what's at stake in what we're doing with Wilberforce Academy? We're not just giving them a personal faith. That's important. But we're really preparing them to be leaders who can help influence the direction of their nations that promote and that will help to promote human flourishing in their nations. I want them to be with us in heaven and at the feet of Christ. But till then, why can't Christians be engaged in promoting human flourishing, which is what we want to do. And we do it as his followers. Well, I tell my students all about this. Let's go to the next slide. So when we work with our students in mentoring, we, we talk a lot about worldview, and I mentioned the comparative worldviews course. They all have to take that online with me one way or the other. Um, I teach them how to interpret their home society and their workplace through, through a, the lens of their Christian faith. I, I spent a lot of time, I and my colleagues, spent a lot of time working with them on practical competencies. That's been a, a major development within our work in the last few months is to adding competencies into our work. And then we talk a lot about spiritual disciplines. We want them to remain vital and alive in Jesus Christ. We ask each of them to develop a redemptive project, and I'll talk about some examples in a minute. And then uh, we provide them long-term support. So when you become a, a mentee with us, as long as you're willing, we will continue investing in you for the long term. We have an, a biennial global summit where we bring them back to the States every two years for three days. That'll be this fall. Uh, we have occasional trips overseas that I'm making and my colleague Waihan from Malaysia, he also uh, visits our mentees. And then we use Skype. It's a wonderful technology, as you know. Let, next slide now. Okay, so here's an example of one of my mentees. Uh, this is a professor at Inner Mongolia Agricultural University. When I was in East Asia last early June, I was with him. Uh, at, uh, in Hohat, which is Inner Mongolia, that's part of China. And uh, he is a man who has identified as his redemptive project the need to uh, write a first-ever textbook on Christian faith and science in the Mongolian language. Right now, there's nothing like that in Mongolia. And Mongolian Christians need to think about Christian faith and science. That's a, a constant issue that comes up. So he, that's his project 
that he's working on. Let's go to the next slide. Uh, as I mentioned, just a few weeks ago, I was in uh, the 4th through 17th of this month. I was in uh, four uh, countries, actually three countries, but um, one of my mentees comes from Zimbabwe. We flew him up to Bukavu, Congo, where he spoke at a conference that one of my other mentees, who's Congolese, uh, led in Bukavu, which is right on the border with Rwanda, uh, I also have a mentee that I visited in Nairobi, Kenya, and then at the beginning of my trip, I visited a mentee who I'll tell you about in Douala, Cameroon. So let's go to the next slide. Uh, this is my mentee in Douala. Uh, Dr. Emmanuel Nyam uh, is, as her redemptive project, developing a Christ-centered children's Christian education curriculum for Cameroon. Uh, the day after I arrived there, we went up to a city called Boya, uh, and uh, we came to a leading Presbyterian church there. It's, this country has a lot of Presbyterian churches. She's Baptist, but a lot of them are Presbyterians. She's a graduate of Southern Baptist Seminary in Louisville. Um, so we were there in this church, in this university town. They said, you know, we have 500 students who come between the ages of 4 and, and 16 to our church. 500. And they said, we just throw them in a classroom together, all of them together. There is no meaningful, well-developed Christian education curriculum in Cameroon that deals with Cameroonian issues that helps to ground people and in deep, deep Christian faith. And so she's developing that. She's already leading, she's only been back four months. She's already leading uh, seminars in churches on how to begin to do this as she is also uh, writing a curriculum. Her curriculum will eventually, uh, we believe, you be used in public schools because they have a required course on religion in public schools. So She'll be affecting, ultimately, I believe, the, all of the children who will eventually become adults of Cameroon. Let's go to the next slide now. Um, I'm sorry about the graphics here. This is not uh, very good, but uh, he, doesn't, he is not ill, nor is his wife, nor am I. Well, <laughs> that, I better ask my wife about that. I don't know. But anyway, uh, we look pretty gross there. But... Uh, um, I spent a day and a half with him, Maurice Sikenya, in Nairobi, Kenya, uh, just a couple weeks ago. It was actually two weeks ago today I was with them. Uh, and uh, he is pursuing his PhD in international education at the University of Minnesota, doing cutting-edge work, by the way, on, on the issues of conflict resolution in their universities. And he's found some very disturbing results from his research, but he has ultimate goal is to work in the Kenyan Ministry of Education to help uh, bring a as, a, as a highly trained educator, a redemptive and deeply Christian influence into that country. The church that he worships in, on any given Sunday morning, has about a third or half of the cabinet of the Kenyan government is in that church. I, I have to tell you, Pastor Tim, phenomenal teaching. I was awed. Everyone has a book, like a paperback book, and it la it's good for three months' worth of sermons, and you fill in the blanks and everything. I mean, a very impressive teaching in this Kenyan-led uh, church. 
Next slide, please. Um, the man that I told you about, uh, a mentee, uh, Masango Matamura, uh, he came to the University of Minnesota in uh, the fall after I saw you, and he, um, he spent nine months at the University of Minnesota in a special U.S. government program. Uh, now he's been back for the last five or six years in Zimbabwe training pastors in Zimbabwe how to be peacemakers in their churches and in their communities. So why is this important in Zimbabwe? Um, it's important because the leader of Zimbabwe today is uh, Robert Mugabe. He's 93 years old. He refuses to give up office. And the only way that he'll go out of office is he'll die. But the political party that he's part of called ZANU-PF, that party is riven with internal struggles. And when he dies, the prediction is that Zimbabwe will explode in political violence within that party, which has branches in all the communities of Zimbabwe. By the way, it's a very corrupt party without even exaggerating one bit. Uh, pastors like Masango Matamura, uh, whose many of his teachers, by the way, who trained him originally were from the same seminary I went to, Dallas Seminary. But uh, he, he is working very hard within the churches that he's influencing in eastern Zimbabwe to train pastors to be prepared for that and to be prepared to uh, be conflict resolvers, to bring peace instead of uh, conflict to their communities. When he was in Bukavu, Congo, he gave a wonderful lecture about this to 90 Congolese pastors. So now we're at the point where we're bringing mentees from other countries to help other mentees in their countries train people in their countries with the implications of the gospel. And it's pretty exciting to see that. Next slide, please. So here's the gentleman who, he's definitely, as you can see, an older mentee. He's actually in his 50s. But Kasango Mabela Ulu is from Congo. He has a wonderful vision for entrepreneurship, education, and conflict transformation in eastern Congo. Uh, he had to flee to seek refuge in America 19 years ago. Uh, as a, a, and so he came to Minneapolis. Eventually we encountered each other. And then about five, six years ago, he, he became my mentee. And this has been my second trip there. So what did I do while I was there with him at this conference, that he, a two-day conference he organized on, uh, for 90 pastors? So one of the themes we discussed was how the church can help bring an end to the culture of corruption that deeply infects that society. Now, what do you think was the first... Anybody want to just give a guess? What was the first response or question that people had for me? These were all pastors, by the way, in the audience they had for me as I talked about how the church can bring an end to corruption uh, in Congolese societies. Anybody want to just hazard a guess? And I never make fun of people who hazard guesses because that trap door is there. Remember, those guys are on your side. They're not on mine. <laughs> okay. Um, anybody? 
Bingo. You got some smart people here, Tim. The, the, this guy got it right. This guy got it right. You got very, you're right on target. That's the very first question. What are we going to do about the corruption in the church? Can you imagine that? I'm sending my mentees to engage these kinds of issues. And they're begging for solutions. The same thing I ran into in Douala, Cameroon when I was there days earlier with my mentee, Manuela. I spoke in a Cameroon Baptist seminary. First question, same one. I spoke in a Baptist church in Douala, that's the big city, the big commercial city of Cameroon. Same, same thing. So these people have a tremendous challenge. They've got to, they have got to become agents for bringing and bridling corruption in Cameroonian society, but they have a problem with corruption in the church right now. And I wish that I had time to talk about it, but it would take us another 60 minutes and I disappear. Um, the other thing that I talked about the next day was how a Christian vision for entrepreneurship and business. And here's the challenge that, that uh, Kasango faces, and we all do who work in that part of the world. It's the most desperate place I've ever seen in my life. I've been, this is my second trip there. There are a million people in Bukavu. There is no functioning airport in Bukavu. There, there is one in theory, but frankly, it doesn't function. The only way you can get to Bukavu by an airplane is to fly to the city, a tiny city of Kamembe in Rwanda, across the border, a few miles away. There is one flight a day. 40 people in, 40 people out. This is for a city of a million people. It's incredible. There is a desperateness there that is unparalleled to anything I've ever seen. People are hungry. There are no jobs. The only jobs you get are in the government. Every job you get in the government is one you pay for. And then in order to pay for it, you have to borrow money from people. And in order to pay back the loan, because if you don't pay it back, somebody's going to kill you, you have to demand bribes of the people you serve as a government official. By the way, it's not just there. It's exactly the same thing in Northeast India where I was last fall with working with my uh, mentee there who I'll show you in a minute. So we had to talk about, we had to come back to this issue. Is there a possibility of starting business? And I was able to show them that there are a lot of historical challenges in their society that they need to face, but that they can apply God-given creativity and rationality and they can begin to create businesses that create wealth. And as wealth is created, some of that wealth is used to finance the church. There's a reason why the churches in that part of the world are desperately poor, because most of the people are not able to create wealth. And if there's no wealth created, Tim, there's no money for people like you and me. There just isn't. That's the bottom line. The people who support First Baptist Church of St. John's with a million dollars or more a year are wealth creators. Wealth creators in honor to and service to Jesus Christ. 
So that's what I was talking about and, along with my colleague, Kasango. This man is a short man. He's only about this tall. But when you see him in Congo, I swear to you that he looks like a giant. He, he comes alive in a way that is incredible. He's a different man. He is sought by everyone. He is regarded as a highly regarded person in that city of a million. People want to be with him 24 hours a day to talk with him and get ideas and, and hear his, his uh, mentoring uh, influence in their lives. Next slide, please. So while we're talking about Africa, just a little something to drop in somebody's head, in Africa, what happens is, if you want to go to college, in general, you get to, if governments have scholarships, as is the case in Uganda, for example, if governments have scholarships, they only give them to people from their tribe. So that means everybody else who's part of that society and not from that tribe doesn't get scholarships. So we're trying to figure out a strategy to see if we can help raise some funds and wealth creating in America to help deal with this. Well, let's go on. We're running out of time here. So uh, as I mentioned, I was in Northeast India last year. Uh, next slide, please. This mentee was really my first mentee, and he's now developed two Christian schools. One of them is just exploding in size right as we speak right now, and he's uh, providing Christian education for the poor in Northeast India. Next slide, please. And then uh, I'll bring this to point here. Uh, Seoul, Korea, I was there last summer. And uh, next slide. My mentee, Hanjun Kim, he's currently at University of Minnesota, but he's South Korean. His vision is to influence the direction of South Korean educational policy. He has very clear ideas of how he wants to bring a redemptive influence uh, of Christ into the education system there. Next slide. And then uh, Kuala Lumpur was where I also spent time last summer. Next slide. And there I'll finally introduce you to Waihan Liu. Uh, Waihan is my newest colleague who's joined our staff as a training associate. But even as he helps us train other international students, he himself is, is developing a personal agenda to develop redemptive change in Malaysia through sports and education. And, and God is really using it. This is a godly man who has a deep passion for Christ but he's also thinking very skillfully. He's a very perfect example of a skillful redemptive change agent who says, how can I use my influence and my training for Christ in very difficult contexts? And he weaves his way through what most people could never weave their way through to get into the leadership in Malaysia uh, in some of these domains. And, and I really do admire and I appreciate the work this man's doing. Next slide. So I'll end with this. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, this is the book that I recently wrote on corruption. I, I did this as a series of stories, but I use biblical uh, text to inform how people can actually bridle the culture of corruption. And if you know people who are missionaries or, or in these contexts, um, this is the kind of book that I found a lot of them are looking for. Okay, I'm sorry I've dragged on a long time here, but I'll take questions. Anyone like to pose a question for me now? Yes, sir.
Yeah, yeah, I do. One of the most common ones, for example, among Muslims is that the Trinity is the Father, Son, and Mary. So, you know, when you come to meet with a Muslim student, one of the first things you have to do is to dispel that understanding of the Trinity. They're almost all taught it. Um, a, a lot of international students also blithely assume that America is a Christian nation. And so, therefore, they look at what's happening here and they say it must be Christian. And, and this is also the critique, by the way, from a lot of Muslims. So that's another one that we have to correct. Um, the next and the most obvious thing is that they simply say, I don't know anything. I absolutely know nothing. Many of our Chinese students will say, I was taught to be an atheist, therefore I'm an atheist. And none of us would say that, but in their society, they will say, I was taught to be an atheist, therefore I'm an atheist. Well, the beautiful thing is many of the Chinese are hungry for God. There's no question that God's doing an amazing thing among Chinese. So those are some of the misconceptions. Thank you. Other questions? Yes. That's a good question. Right. So at this point, um, we are identifying mentees through current mentees who point others that they know to us. Um, another way is through other international student ministries that have identified a student who, who wants to have a, a, a significant impact in their home society. They will refer them to us at the Wilberforce Academy. And then sometimes when I'm speaking, someone will come up to me. I had a student who's a mentee from Ukraine who was actually in, in a course that I taught for a while at the University of Minnesota, an actual four-credit course. And turns out she was a believer and she fit my criteria, which are you have to have a desire to apply your Christianity in your society or in your workplace. That's a key, key thing we're looking for. You have to be willing to be trained. Um, those are the basic, at this point, requirements. Thank you. Yes, sir. Sure. Right, right. They're not. Absolutely. <laughs> yes. Wow. Yeah, wow. I will, and thank you for the reminder to repeat that. His question is, here I am as a young father with five beautiful children, may I say, and uh, you want to train them for Christ. How can you and your wife be redemptive change agents who help your children to, to follow Jesus Christ in our society? And in education, yes, yes. So thank you for the reminder on that, Tim. Um, I want to think carefully. Several things I'm going to share with you. Number one, I'd say never give up on your children. Never give up on the proposition that Christ is and aims for their hearts and their minds. Never give up on that. Number two, I want to say to you that 
don't ever be afraid of their questions. Their questions are not a threat. Their questions are their desire to learn the truth. And Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Christianity is the only truth-based worldview that provides comprehensive and intellectually credible answers to all the questions of life. Now, we may not know all those answers, but I can tell you from my research, I, I can say that without any blinking a single eye. Don't be afraid of their questions. Welcome the questions, even if they seem challenging. Um, thirdly, I would still advise that you and your wife continue to pray uh, for your kids. Have, fourthly, around every meal, openly converse about the challenges to Christian faith that you face in your life or you see in our larger society. Talk about those challenges. Don't be afraid because they're going to face them in their classrooms if you don't home educate. You may home educate them, but sooner or later they'll find out about what's going on. So talk about those challenges. And talk about those challenges with a sense of compassion for the lost and sorrow over the lies that are being taught in so many sectors of our society, but uh, talk about them in such a way that they're invited to, to continue the dialogue with you. Thanks for that very good question. I'm, I'm humbled by that because I raised four sons. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, other questions? Okay, well, thank you so much for the invitation to be here tonight, and uh, I'd be glad to visit with you in the uh, gym afterwards. Thank you very much.